Well, haven't we had some interesting discussion this week over the Australian Greens proposal to legalise cannabis nationally? The Greens' Senator David Shoebridge is going to move ahead with a plan to legalise cannabis after obtaining what he says is clear constitutional legal advice that the federal parliament has the power to legalise it. In other words, overrule the states. He says it's great news for millions of Australians. He said, we've been told to wait for cannabis law reform for way too long, even when it's obvious that the majority of harm caused by its policing and the war on drugs and not the plant. Senator David Shoebridge is on the phone right now. Good to talk to you, Senator. Good morning. Thanks for your time. Yeah, my pleasure, Luke. Good speaking. Okay. So obviously, if you, if you regulate any illicit drug, you take the criminal element away as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that's one of the key outcomes um, and one of the key benefits from legalising cannabis. So just run us through your thoughts and, and why you've come to this. Well, I spent um, 10 years in a state parliament, a bit over 10, 11 years in a state parliament, um, looking at um, just how much damage was being caused by state laws uh, when it comes to cannabis. Uh, as I think you read one of my lines in the introduction. Our view is that if you want to reduce the harm that comes from uh, the way cannabis is dealt with at the moment, most of that harm is not from a health or a medical point of view. I mean, you, you cannot overdose on cannabis. I'm not suggesting it's uh, without harm, but on the spectrum of drugs, it's on the less harmful end of the spectrum of dr drugs, far less harmful than alcohol and tobacco. And the harm that's been produced at the moment is from the criminal justice system, from the police, the courts, and, and particularly young people, and, and people in regional New South Wales, First Nations peoples, um, uh, but potentially losing their career, getting a criminal record, uh, being unable to travel, having their life turned upside down simply because they choose to smoke a joint or consume some cannabis with some friends. And, and, and we can get rid of that harm. We can get rid of it immediately, legalising cannabis. Okay, I want to know uh, exactly what you've got in mind because we, we were here on the air on this very program when the ACT introduced their legislation and now it's law. In the ACT, you've got to be obviously over the age of 18, uh, possess up to 50 grams of dried cannabis or up to 150 grams of fresh. Uh, you can grow up to two cannabis plants per person with a maximum of four plants per household. And you can use cannabis in your home so long as it's for personal use. It's still an offence to smoke or use cannabis in a public place, expose a child or a young person to it, store cannabis where children can reach it, uh, grow cannabis using hydroponics or an artificial cultivation source, and grow plants where they can be accessed by the public. Now, that's basically, in a nutshell, what is happening mm. in the ACT. Is, are they your thoughts? Well, the ACT has gone down a decriminalisation path rather than a legalisation path. And I look credit to the ACT and um, Labor and the Greens worked cooperatively in the ACT to come up with that model. And it's a hell of a lot better than applies around the rest of the country. So tell me what you're after, decriminalisation or legalising? What's the difference? No. So our, our, our policy position and our plan is to have legalised cannabis. And, and legalised cannabis would take the entire industry out of the hands of organised crime and outlaw motorcycle gangs, which still control the supply even in, in the ACT, because it's still illegal to, um, 
to to grow any commercial um, amount of cannabis. It's still illegal to sell cannabis. It's still, uh, you know, they're, they're still covered by the criminal laws, those actions. Um, our plan is to legalise it across the country, set up a legal market, license growers, control growers. We would want to prohibit the overt commercialisation of it. We would want to have clear laws to restrict the, the alcohol, tobacco and pharmaceutical industries from jumping into cannabis and, and, um, and, and, and you know, dominating and, and creating the kind of markets they've made for alcohol, tobacco and, and, um, and pharmaceuticals. Uh, my preferred model, we're still consulting on the final shape of it, my preferred model would be to have, um, have the production on a cooperative model um, where we see cooperatives in the regions in particular growing cannabis um, uh, under licence, under controlled conditions, and then providing it through to a controlled market uh, with obvious and clear restrictions on miners and, and some obvious other restrictions on where you could smoke cannabis um, not dissimilar to the kind of public restrictions we have on tobacco. But some of that finely grained detail is what we're going to be consulting on over the next few months. As we as we, we, we create the draft bill, we then will, once we get a draft bill, we'll go out and have a consultation through the Greens. Once we're satisfied with it, we'll take it to Parliament and next year, early next year, we hope, um, have a, a national Senate inquiry into the final shape of the bill to get as much public support and as much public input as we can into it. And then hopefully at the end of next year, legalise it. I'm talking with Green Senator David Shoebridge, who's moving ahead with a plan to legalise cannabis nationally. So just before we get on to um, the federal government being able to uh, go ahead with this and overrule the states, I want to get back to that because that's important. But just let me talk to you about the legalization of a product. For example, tobacco is legal, but it's regulated. There are certain outlets where you can purchase tobacco and it's highly, highly taxed. It is illegal to grow tobacco for your own use in your backyard, correct? Yes, that, that's tobacco. That's yes. tobacco. Now, will you, under your suggestions, would you be able to grow a plant in your backyard or two like they do in Canberra? Well, well, yes, absolutely. And the probably more to that degree, more like alcohol, where adults can, you know, do a home brew if they choose with alcohol. And of course, alcohol is a far more dangerous drug than, than cannabis. But the, the, we haven't got the final, um, the final position on that. But the, the, my, my current thinking, and it's subject to further consultation, and I don't pretend I contain, you know, I hold every element of wisdom when it comes to this, and nor does my party. We want to consult on it. But our, our current thinking is six plants per household would be the kind of, would be a, a, a natural cap in terms of personal use, and it would have to be for personal use. Okay, but, six plants per household. They see, the, the difference, you just mentioned uh, home brew, and I used to be a home brewer. Um, there was absolutely no limit on how much beer, alcoholic beer, I could make in my backyard. The only restriction on me was that I was not allowed to sell it. And you've just said that you believe cannabis is a lot less harmful than alcohol. Yes, and we, but we would have the same restrictions on terms of sale because we'd want to have, we, we would have, whoops, sorry, we would have yeah, restrictions on sale. If you're growing cannabis at home, it would be purely for personal use and there would be restrictions on on having a kind of de facto 
commercial supply through through the cannabis you grow at home. But you know, it's 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 effectively a weed, and um, if people wanted to grow it themselves and they had the space or the capacity to grow it themselves rather than buy it through a commercial um, arrangement, well, then people should have that option. It, it is a weed, but it is also considered a drug, isn't it, because of THC? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And 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 I'm not I'm not suggesting that there aren't health impacts associated with some people's use of cannabis. There, there clearly are. But what 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 I'm saying very clearly, and what all the evidence shows, is that the harm the harm that is caused by cannabis across the population is on the lesser end of the spectrum and significantly less harmful than alcohol and tobacco. And if and and what the studies have shown in those countries around the world that have legalised cannabis, the United States, state after state in the United States, Canada, and the like, um, you see a substitution effect. It's not it's not. Uh, it's not a huge part, but you see a genuine substitution effect. You tend to see less alcohol and a slight increase in cannabis use. Uh, there's something I'd love, love you to look into, if you could, because it's a question that's often asked, and I think it's a reasonable question. For example, in the ACT, uh, you still cannot drive with any, any cannabis in your system. We're talking about THC. Now, with alcohol, we have a legal limit, whether it be correct or incorrect, we've arrived at 0.05. How do you measure how much THC is in your blood before it's dangerous to drive? Or do you think, Senator David Shoebridge, it should always be zero? Well, I think the, the, the test for our road safety laws should be based upon road safety. And if you have drugs in your system, and I don't think it matters whether they're legal or illegal, but if you have drugs in your system that are impairing your driving and make you a danger on the road, that should be unlawful and we should be very clear about it and we should come down like a ton of bricks on it. Yeah, I know. But, but we've come to 0.05 with alcohol and some people might argue that 0.02 for some people is dangerous and they could argue that uh, well over 0.05 for some people is not dangerous. But we've arrived at 0.05. Do you think we'll ever arrive at a level where it is uh, considered safe to be at in order to operate a motor vehicle under the influence of THC cannabis? Yeah, absolutely. And I know the distinction you're, you're pointing to, and I, I absolutely agree with you that it's a genuine issue. And, and I fall on the side that losing your licence because you have the tiniest trace element of THC in your system, you might have smoked a joint three days ago and the test has picked up this tiny trace element in your system. You're not impaired. There's just this tiny presence of, of cannabis in your system. That's the way the law works across the whole country at the moment, except for Tasmania. And, and good on Tasmania. They say you have to be impaired. Um, now, there's no difference in the fatality rates related um, on the roads between Tasmania and mainland Australia, and we should obviously have an impairment model. And if you have a look, actually, in the United Kingdom and in Scandinavia, um, there have been two critical reports. The Wolf Report in the United Kingdom, and I can't for the moment re remember the, the Scandinavian one, but if you look up the Wolf Report in the United Kingdom, it actually goes through and looks at what the levels of impairment, what the levels of drugs in people's system should should be to trigger impairment. That's right. And it sets out some levels for cannabis. And I think that's a very good starting point. We should be looking at a level of cannabis, you know, a best fit kind of thing across the population like we do with alcohol. Not, it won't be perfect in every case, but the best fit. And says, well, if you're above this level, then we're going to assume you're impaired and that's when the law is going to come down on you. But like, like, like alcohol, I understand. Senator David Shoebridge is with us. Look, we're, we're running out of time. There's so many questions I need to ask you. <laughs> Tell me how it is that you've obtained 
constitutional legal advice that would suggest that the federal parliament would have the power to do this and it wouldn't be left up to the states? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm a recovering barrister. <laughs> so, I, you know, I've still got my ticket. But the, um, I, I had formed the view that we might be able to use what's called the external affairs power, um, which is often used by the Commonwealth to legislate. Um, and I went to uh, one, of the, one of the top constitutional lawyers in the country. He's written a textbook on it, um, practising constitutional law for the last three decades. He's a dean of a highly prestigious law school, Patrick Kaiser. And I went to him with my cunning plan and said, look, what about the external affairs power? We could use that, couldn't we? Because there's treaty after treaty the Commonwealth has entered into. He was very polite to me. He said he'd look into it and came back with a very considered advice. And he actually said, well, I don't know about your cunning plan, David. He said, um, but here's a better pathway. And it's the patents and trademarks power, the intellectual property oh, yeah, power. Yeah. And, and basically what that would provide for would be the listing and the licensing and the regula- regulating of different strains of cannabis. They would be listed and regulated and licensed, and you'd have a uh, you'd set up a legal market through that Commonwealth legislation. You'd set up you know the, the 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 controls about who can sell it, who can grow it at home, prohibit it to miners and the like. You regulate it by strain at a federal level, and then because of Section 109 of the Constitution, which basically says whenever a state law and a Commonwealth law are in conflict. By doing that, you would turn off all of the state laws that were contrary to that, all of the state laws that criminalise the sale, um, the use and the possession of cannabis. And it's a very neat solution. Look, I I tell you, you can tell that, that, look, there are lots of very reasonable questions my listeners need answered. And and you haven't got them all yet on paper. But look, the thought bubbles out there, it's created a lot of conversation. And I thank you for that, because that's what we're in the business for here on the on the night shift, uh, creating conversation. So thank you for your time, Senator. A pleasure. And I'm happy to come back again. We're going to be developing this bill, um, public consultation when we have it further down the track. And we've got, um, you know, those clearer elements set out. Happy to come back and explain it to you. It's a it's, I think it's a, an important national reform. I think it is too. Senator David Tripp, just, just before you go, uh, something for next time. Uh, as you know, uh, yesterday the energy giant AGL announced it's going to close its Loyang, a power station in Victoria. Um, 600 jobs at least. They're closing it 10 years earlier than they expected. And uh, obviously with a look at uh, developing renewable energy. And I think that's great so long as renewable energy is affordable and reliable. It's another topic for another day. But the one thing that no one's talking about is the possibility of nuclear power. Maybe you and I can talk about that on another occasion. Yeah, I am. And I'm happy to go through the the, 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 the clear market um, indicators on that, which I say, and we can discuss this in more detail, point clearly towards renewables and storage as a far cheaper and more reliable solution. I, I, I agree, but they're not ready yet. Well, um, they're not, they're, and, they're, and it's not cheap and it's not reliable. I, I, I would think it would be fantastic if everything was renewable, and one day it will, but it's not ready yet. Well, I mean, have a, have a look at the, um, the, the one power station that the United Kingdom is building, has nuclear power station the United Kingdom is trying to build at the moment. I think last time I checked, it was £30 billion. It's about 15 years behind schedule, and nobody knows when it's going to open. I don't think that's the solution. Well, I tell you what, how about we talk about that next time? I'm very happy to. That'd be great, sir. Very happy to. That'd be great. As you say, talking about these things, discussing these things that everybody's thinking about and having a kind of 
genuine exchange on them all is, is kind of what politics and the media should do. Well, this is what I do. And we, we, didn't, we didn't get on to some of the other yeah, benefits let's, of let's legalisation, talk, but very happy to. Let's, let's talk about it. That's what, that's what I'm, I'm about. I'm about uh, debating things, and, and, and unlike other presenters on other talkback stations, I actually listen. Yeah, well, do you know what? I think I say, I say the same to my colleagues and, and to other politicians. They're so good at asking questions and, and talking at people but they just, you know, the skill of actually listening and digesting what you hear is is kind of missing in politics. Well, I'm I'm very happy to say, you know, look, you know, it's a genuine pleasure to speak with somebody, and, and no doubt your audience appreciates it. You don't only ask the questions; you actually listen to the answers.